It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to come be with us and worship the Lord. I hope you're enjoying the summer. It's uh, warming up a little bit, isn't it? About time. It's about time it's warmed up. I don't think you can figure out whether it's going to quit raining or uh, what it's going to do, but uh, we'll take whatever we get, right? Yeah. Um, this uh, last week, I uh, had a good week, I think, around the church. Our church board met with our, uh, with our district superintendent, so things are moving forward. Uh, I'm not sure how forward and forward they're moving, but they're moving, and that's good news. And uh, so continue to pray with us in our time of trans- pastoral transition, and uh, just know that the Lord is in charge, and He's got this. Amen? Amen. So again, thanks for being here, taking time with us, and uh, thanks for all that you do in the church. I- I'm always amazed as uh, I look around every week, and I see everybody doing all kinds of uh, ministries around the church. And so appreciative of that. Yesterday we had a great time with the, with the men's breakfast. Had a good breakfast, a great devotional. Uh, one of the guys, when uh, he left, he said, man, what a great way to start a day. So uh, guys, uh, if you can, show up on the men's breakfast time. It's a good time. And by the way, don't we have a missionary coming in a couple weeks? Got a missionary coming, uh, the U-Alls. And I think we're going to have a kind of like a hoedown outside back in the back of the church here, right? Somebody, is, is that what we call it, hoedown? That's close enough, all right? Uh, we had some volunteers going to bring some horses. Uh, anybody out there got hot rods? Anybody got a hot rod? Come on, where are all you hot rod boys? I was thinking... All right, I was thinking about bringing my Model A and giving some kids a Model A ride. I don't know. You know, for $5 a piece, something like that. <laughs> just, just teasing. So if it's not going to rain, I, I'm, I just might bring that Model A out, get the big boys out of the garage. And have a little fun with that. So we got some horses. We got some hot rods. We got some bounceables. We got all kinds of good fried chicken. I think we're going to have... Are we going to have fried chicken? Who's in charge of this shindig? Come on, Eldon. Step up to the plate here, buddy. Oh, beef. All right. Fried beef chicken. All right. Okay. Well, hey, uh, last week we started something. I stepped in something. And you've all been good to me. But I want to kind of pick up where we were last week, if we can, out of Romans chapter 1. And uh, kind of where we left off a little bit, uh, I have entitled our discussion this morning, I'm rated R uh, for mature audiences only. And um, so we're talking about uh, some things in the, in the New Testament that really, I mean, in our day and age, they've kind of come full blossom. Uh, we are starting to experience things in America we never have before, ever, in our 200 plus year history, and the Bible has some things to say about uh, what we're experiencing as a nation. And so um, uh, this morning, I've encouraged you, if you have small children, you need to leave, uh, feel free to do that. It's not going to offend me, of course, or anybody else. Um, If you feel like your kids are good for this, uh, then bring it on. And uh, I mean, they get it in schools, don't they? They're already getting it everywhere else. Uh, This last week, I was watching Hallmark movie. All right, I hate to admit that in the first place, but it, 
It was with my granddaughter. She's, how old is she, honey? Six years old? She's six years old. This little girl, like most little gals, as sharp as a tack. And we're watching a Hallmark movie. And it was an older one. And uh, my wife and I have committed to, uh, to anything we see on TV. If it's not appropriate, if it does not uh, fit biblical um, values, then we're just going to turn it off. And, and so now... Um, my granddaughter and I are watching this Hallmark movie, and it starts out, it's a pretty cool little movie. It's about a guy that's out of, I think it's Desert Storm. He's got P, uh, PTSD, and, and um, he's, got a, he's got a little nephew boy, and his brother is in the house, I mean, in, the, in their shop, which is a bicycle shop. And, and so the scenario is kind of these two brothers are working together in a bicycle shop. Uh, the, the one that wasn't in the war, he's trying to minister to his brother, and, and with his little son. And my granddaughter looks at me when she sees these two boys, six years old. And she says to me, Grandpa, are they married? Now that shocked me. That shocked me. A six-year-old. I said, oh no, honey, they're brothers. Now I'm embarrassed. And I'm trying to say, I'm just saying, God, how far we have come. Now, a couple of things before I read the Word of God that I want to throw at you. Um, first of all, guys like me who, um, who have decided they're going to speak up, uh, we've been accused of, of um, different emotions, uh, anger, hatred, bitterness, uh, even other terminologies. Um, that maybe describes some of the behaviors of other people that, well, so, so I, I want to tell you, I prayed that God would give me, just like last week, a spirit of a gentleness, of humility, of grace. Um, I, I prayed against a spirit of judgment, arrogance, anger, bitterness, uh, hostility. I prayed against all of that in my life. So as we talk about this, my prayer is that you won't, whether you're online or with us here personally, you won't sense in my own demeanor, uh, my attitude, my words, any anger, bitterness, judgment. Judgment is not my role. I am not called to be the judge. Um, I have found out anytime you do like this to people, there's three fingers pointing right back at you. So be careful how you judge people. A judgment belongs with God. However, the role of the pastor is to, is to bring the whole counsel of God Amen. to the people. And to do that in the spirit of love and grace and truth. So as the scripture says, speak the truth in love. And that's, that's what I trust I'll do this morning. Secondly, um, I want to make a few general statements uh, before I, I read the scripture that I believe they kind of describe our convictions. The convictions, let's say, of the Church of the Nazarene in general. And, and I believe the convictions of this local church, Mountain View Church, and most of our Nazarene churches and leaders. So um, a number of statements here. First of all, let me, let me make this statement. It's a rather broad statement, but it's a statement that's apropos to our world today. The reality is every person has value and is loved by God. Can we agree on that? Amen. 
Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what color, what language, what nationality. Every person has value and is loved by God. Secondly, God has created every man, woman, boy, and girl in his own image. Male and female created he them. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Thirdly, each of the two sexes, male and female, is a beautiful expression equally given to us. A created in God's divine image. Um, both are a glorious gift from God, male and female. God's, God's done a marvelous thing when he created mankind. We are the crowning point of his creation. He made everything and then he said, okay, I'm going to make man. So he makes Adam. And he looks at Adam and he goes, I think I can do better. And he makes Eve. So they're a glorious representation. Both are a picture, if you will. They're a picture, if you will, of who God is in part. Can we agree on that? Uh, Fourthly, uh, when united in marriage, um, this holy union we call it, I now pronounce you man and wife, for better, for worse, rich or poor, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. This this, um, holy union, in my opinion, it represents the deepest and most intimate relationships that we have with God, our Heavenly Father. And that's articulated in the scripture. A husband and a wife, a bride and a groom. Um, If you've never read uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he describes this relationship of how men ought to love and serve the wife as she responds to him. It's a beautiful dynamic. As a man gives his life to his wife as Christ did to the church. That's called sacrifice. It's called service. It's called humility. It's called laying down your life. And I have yet to find a woman who doesn't want to serve a man who puts her at the top shelf of everything he is. That's the way God's designed this. Fifth, marriage then is God's design for his creation. The two sexes, male and female, one man, one woman, united to serve God together in holy matrimony. And in fact, when the marriage comes together, it's really not about their marriage relationship. It's about who God is in the midst of their relationship. They are there to serve God together. The two of them now are stronger than either one were alone. And they've united to serve God and glorify Him in the marriage. Can we agree on that? Lastly, I would say... um, We defend what I would call the um, orthodox understanding, the orthodox biblical view uh, that was held for thousands of years that any sexual relationship outside of marriage between one man and one woman is morally wrong and in violation of God's holy design. Can I state that again? I believe we defend the orthodox biblical understanding, the value that God gives us in his word. It's been held for thousands of years. That 
any sexual relation outside of marriage between one man and one woman is morally wrong and in violation of God's holy design. Whether it's adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, gay, trans, let me put it let me put it in the way it's given to us the lbgtq plus environment our conviction is that the orthodox biblical view calls this sin can we agree on that Amen. now in short um and, and i'm going to quote the manual of the church of the nazarene uh, which i have right right here with me but i've written it down In the manual of our Nazarene church, which, by the way, we have thousands of people right now in Indianapolis, Indiana, who have come from all over the world, 160-some world areas, as delegates to talk and think and pray about different issues that are important to the church, to the ecclesia, the called-out ones, particularly the church of the Nazarene. And part of that probably will have to do with some of this. Some of, probably some of the dialogue will have to do some. In fact, you may be aware of this is a little bit of a scuttlebutt, you might say, the last few weeks and months uh, in the Church of the Nazarene about how we're going to deal with some of this stuff. So we need to be praying for the harmony, the peace, for the biblical approach to all these issues that our world is facing, not just in the United States, but all around the world, and how we, how we respond to people who we disagree with and how we respond in love in truth, um, in, in good character. Now, so in short, here's the manual. Church of the Nazarene. We view all forms of sexual intimacy that occur outside the covenant of heterosexual marriage as sinful distortions of holiness and beauty that God intended for it. Uh, that's, that's what we call paragraph 32, if you have a manual. Again, I, I trust that you sense no, um, in my own heart and my words, my demeanor, any anger, bitterness, hostility. I don't feel any of that. I feel it's important for pastors like myself to speak the truth to issues that are relevant to the body of Christ and in our world and not hide behind a pulpit and pretend like they don't exist. We must deal with issues. Now, I want to read a portion of Scripture we read last week, and then we're going to wind up reading a couple of portions from the Old Testament. And let's see, it is now 1130. We'll see what we can do. I, I, I said, since I, I kept you a little long last week, I should let you out for good behavior. Uh, let's see how that works out. Okay. Uh, Romans <laughs> chapter 1. So we're going to read. Um, and if you missed last week, I've had a number of people say, hey, I've, I always follow online when I'm gone. That's good. Uh, thank you for joining us online. That's important. So we're going to read the Word of God from Romans chapter 1, and we're going to begin again with verse 18. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome, from what he's seen in his day. And he, and he opens this section about talking about God's, God's own thinking, his God's own emotion. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's being revealed against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their own wickedness. 
Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their fullest hearts were hardened or darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is to be praised forever. Amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men who abandoned natural relations with women were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent. Arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. (laughs) They disobey their parents. They they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So, Lord, we take your word today. We ask, as we always do, Hide the messenger behind the cross. Lord, may we see you high and lifted up today. And Father, um, protect me from saying anything that should not be said. Protect the words of my mouth that they might glorify you. And Lord, I pray that you would fill my heart with a spirit of love and grace and mercy. But Lord, courage enough to speak the truth in love. As you have played it, plainly made it known. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, now, just a bit of review, if I can. A bit of review from last, last Sunday. If you take your, your, your Bible and kind of look with me. There's five verses here. Three times within five verses we find uh, there's a haunting phrase. Uh, the NIV says, God gave them over. Uh, to me, that's a haunting phrase. What does it mean that God gave them over? Uh, This phrase, it disturbs us. It disturbs me. Uh, It troubles us. We don't like it. And and I get that. I I understand that. 
Sometimes the word of God is, is pretty strong. It's pretty forceful. But we must attend to it. Just because it disturbs us doesn't excuse us from addressing what, what it says or what it means. How do I interpret it or understand it? How do I use it in the 21st century in the world in which I live? And we're all facing incredibly different issues. doesn't matter where you work, where you live, where you go, where you shop, what your vocation is. We're all facing new issues that the Scripture wants to address. And here, they're very pointed. Last week, I looked at three or four different translations. Let me just throw them back at you for a moment. Uh, so, um, one says, God that gave them up or God gave them over. Another translation says, abandoned by God. Now, that one scares the heebie-jeebies out of me. Abandoned by God. What does that mean? He's abandoned them. The message says, God said, um, if that's what you want, that's, that's what you'll get. Um, very interesting translation from Eugene Peterson's Bible. Uh, now, that's not easy to hear, but still, we have to address it. And, and I guess this morning, it falls on me to try to help us. So, two things. Uh, thing one, we must interpret this phrase in its context. Uh, every, every person who's ever studied the Bible understands the value of what we call the historical, grammatical context. What, where is this word couched? What's the culture? How did the people think? What did they mean by the words? How do things change? You know, words and ideas change so rapidly, it's, it's crazy. I've talked about this a little bit. Let me give you an example. Uh, take the word love, for instance. Take the word making love, for instance. When I was a teenager growing up, making love had nothing to do with a physical relationship except for holding hands. How many of you remember that day when making love was holding hands? In fact, we used to go to junior camp, the Christian camp of the Church of the Nazarene, Santa Cruz, California, and we'd sing a little song. See the moon shining up above. Mm, it's a pretty night for making love. Now, when, how, have you heard fifth and sixth graders sing that at a Christian camp lately? <laughs> no, you have not. Because words change. Cultures change. And they happen in one one generation. And if they happen that much in one generation, how will that impact hundreds of generations? And so I'm just saying, you must know the historical, grammatical context. When we used to sing that, see the moon shining up above, mm, it's a pretty night for making love, mm, I want to linger mm, a little longer, mm, I want to linger with you. And all the guys would say, who, me? And all the girls would go, yeah, you. And all the guys would go, yee-haw! But all we were talking about was holding hands. The terminology has changed. So, hear this clearly, thing one. Is this phrase, abandoned by God. God gave them over. It has to be interpreted in its context. Thing one. Now, thing two. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like cat in a hat, huh? Thing one and thing two. <laughs> thing two. Um, the context here is about people who full well know the truth, 
but have decided they don't want the truth. Are you with me? Don't misinterpret the context or you'll get the wrong conclusion. These are people who said in their heart, I don't want the truth. I'm okay with living a lie. It doesn't matter to me what God says. I'm going to do my thing. Uh, I remember a song when I was a kid, a guy singing, I did it my way. Uh, That's the philosophy. Um... I'm tempted to sing some more. I don't think I will. Um, Anyway. So if you don't apply this phrase in its context, you're going to come up with the wrong interpretation. Are you with me? It's very important for us. It's easy to take Scripture out of its context. And as they always say, you take a text out of the context, you got a pretext. So um, let let me just lean into that a little bit to say that if you interpret this phrase, God gave them over, from your own experiences, uh, your own emotions, um, your own biases. We all have them, including myself. Um, your own feelings. Then most likely you're going you're gonna to misinterpret this phrase. You've got to do it in the context with the idea that these are people who blatantly say, God, I know what you've said. I know between right and wrong. I choose wrong instead of right according to what you say. Are you all with me? All right. So let's look at, at this a little bit together. Let's dig a little deeper and, and, and let's look at the phrase, God gave them over. Because here's, here's the idea of God gave them over. He abandoned them. Um, it's actually a judicial concept. Like in the in arena of justice. In a courtroom. It's like a judgment. Uh, an individual goes into the courtroom. The judge hands the person over for judgment. You did this, this, and this. So that uh, the, the judgment is going to be met by this, this, and this. It's a judicial system here that is represented in the Word of God. In fact, when you look at the broader context, I find this rather interesting uh, there's a title in chapter 2. Uh, do you see that? It says God's righteous judgment. So the, 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 the context is God's judgment. In fact, when I look through this, it's, it's rather interesting to me. You go on past the, what we read. There's the Jews in the law. We're in a judicial arena here. Chapter 3 moves into God's faithfulness. Then it moves into God's righteousness that no one is righteous but God, and the righteousness by faith, and then Abraham was justified by faith. Which, by the way, is what we, we learned yesterday morning in, in men's devotional. It's a really cool devotional. So this is a judicial arena. God's, let me say it this way, God's righteous judgment. Now, we have a hard time understanding that because the reality is we don't see a lot of righteous judgment in our world. So just to get our mind around, there is such a thing as righteous judgment is kind of tough. So the first verse in chapter 2, look at it. There's an interesting phrase. He says, you therefore. You therefore. Say that with me, would you? You therefore. So a common notion of interpretation is 
Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? Is it pointing forward or is it pointing backward? So when we look at this you therefore, this you therefore is referring to what was just said. So that's important to get when you, when you look at the Scripture. And if you're not careful, you can miss the implication of chapter 1. And that is simply that God is a righteous judge. His justice will always do what's right. That's what righteous means, doing right. When you live in a world, when you see judges that mete out justice wrongly, we have a misinterpretation or misunderstanding of justice. So we have, to, we have to get this very clear. God's justice, his word, his character, um, his thinking, his action is always right. You got that? Mine will be skewed, but not God's. It's a righteous judgment that comes from a righteous God. So, and the Bible's full of scriptures telling us of the righteousness of God. We see it all through the Old Testament. It's part of the, the reason for the Old Testament that we can see the nature and the character that God is someone who is true. That's why we say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never varies from his who he is. Now, you and I do because we're human. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I got a bad hair day. I'm, well, so, maybe that's a bad illustration. I don't think right. I can't get straight. I'm in a funk. That's not God. God is always the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Whatever he did then, he's going to do now. You can always count on God because he's never going to vary from how he acts. All right. So now um, we look at this uh, character of God. I would describe it kind of as a coin. Does anybody have a coin, a quarter or something you can flip me? Just, I'll give it back to you, I promise. Anybody have a coin? Any, just any coin? Come on, a coin quickly. Uh, just, just show me a coin. I want to. I want to talk about. Here we go, right here. Okay, buddy, just throw it right up here. Let's see if I can even see it. Man, I got. I lost it in the lights. Anybody got another quarter? I need another quarter. Right? Oh, here, here we go. You can get that one after church. You the man. Okay, I can keep this one. Man, you're a big giver. Wow, two bits. You will notice this coin? How many coins are there? There's only one coin. How many sides are there? There's two sides. On one side, there's a head. On the other side, there's a tail. Right? It's the same coin with two pictures. Both have the same value. Both are equally important. Both are a part of the whole. That's like God. When you look at God, there's two sides of God. He's one God, but he's a righteous Holy God. He always judges rightly. On the other side of God is his holy judgment, his wrath. So on one side, you've got this God of love, God who is bathed in grace and mercy, and will always be bathed in grace and mercy. But on the other side, you've got a God who really, he, he can express some pretty strong wrath. Uh, what's stronger than opening up the earth and letting a bunch of guys be swallowed by the earth because of a judgment on them? That's God's righteous judgment. 
It was the right thing to do. Now, you and I might not agree with that. But that's because we're man. Here, I'm going to let you girls have this. And you can also get the one under the piano and have it. But if he wants it back, you've got to give it to him because I promised him he could have it back if he wants it. But he said, I could have it. So I'm giving it to you. Probably to put it in the offering. Or if you want to keep it, what is the tithe on 25 cents? All right, figure it out. You'll figure it out. Okay, it's coming. All right. So we have this two sides of the coin to God. And we've got to keep them in balance. They're always in perfect balance. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying that God's justice and his wrath is being displayed. And it's being displayed against this. Godlessness, wickedness, and he's doing it as a judge, judicially. Are you following me? So we're going a little deeper now into Romans chapter 1. Now notice how God meets this out. I think it's rather incredible. It's, it's obviously intentional. But notice the first phrase, or the first phase of this sentence. When God gives a sentence, it's to simply let the restraints go. Do you see that? To just let them go the way they, they're demanding to go. In a sense, uh, you and I call this sometimes free will. Uh, not free willy, that's a movie. This is free will. So God gives us the ability to do what we want to do. He's too much of a gentleman to kick down the door of your life. He's never going to do that. God's not going to do this. God's going to do this. He's going to invite you in. But if you decide to go your own way, that's the story of the prodigal father. Or is it the prodigal son? You check it out. It could be the prodigal father. That's what William, William uh, McCumber says. He's the prodigal father. Huh. That'll get my thinking going. He's not going to kick your door down. He's going to give you free will. You know where we get that? Theologically, we are called Wesleyan Arminian as opposed to Calvinism. Um, Wesleyan Arminian... Arminian comes from James Arminius, who gave us the concept of free will as opposed to a Calvinist idea that you don't have a choice. You half are assigned to hell, you half are assigned to heaven. Now, that's a simplistic way of putting it. But James Arminius says, no, you got free will. And that's what God's doing here. He's, he's letting them go their own way, but he does it in a sense that he, he with holds restraints now. You see, there's this restraint that God puts in men and women that is very interesting. This morning in my welcome class, in our Sunday school class, we talked about guilt just a little bit. And I said, you know, a funny thing is, because the Holy Spirit convicts us of guilt and of sin, he convicts the world of guilt and of sin. I've heard some people say, guilt is the result of men like me who tell you how bad you are, and so you feel guilty. Well, I got to tell you, guilt was around a lot longer before preachers. You just ask Adam and Eve. That's why they hid in nakedness in the garden. The minute they turned their heart against God, they felt something terrible in their heart. They knew they did something wrong. And so they hid from God who was holy. That's what guilt does. And that's a, that's a gift from God to keep us from self-destructing. When you do something and you feel it's wrong, you shouldn't do it. God's given you that as a gift to say, listen, 
I don't want you to get hurt. Don't do that. That's not good. So this free will is a big thing for us. Now notice this progression. First phase. First phase is to just let the restraints go. But notice in verse 24. He, he, he first lets them go to their lusts. Then he turns them over to the passions of their heart. There, there's no longer any restraining grace. So secondly, it progresses from their lust now to, to their bodies. You know, one thing about lust. Lust is insatiable. You cannot satisfy it. Did you know that? Um, if you have an addiction, the addiction will always progress worse and worse and worse. It'll never get better. You got to address it. You got to cut it off because it's insatiable. The more you have, the more you want. The more you want, the more you want. That's the nature of lust. So here we see it's gone from the lust to now their bodies in their freedom from God's um, wrath. Now they turn to this perversion, it's gone deeper. That's verse 24. Now verse 26. It's suggesting it's worse now. It, it progresses to degrading passions. And he, he starts with how, how it affects women. And something's happened in our day that was never around in my day. Uh, let, let me give it to you an easy, just a very simple one-on-one way for, in my thinking. When I was a kid, you'd never hear women cuss. Right? Be a lady. There was a thing we called ladies and gentlemen. Cussing was beneath women. Well, today, cussing's kind of like a national pastime. Women can cuss just as good as men. And they enjoy it. What's happened? Something's changed. Something has changed. I've always said uh, the, the verbiage of a culture tells far more than we want to say. And in our culture... Here, here in verse 26, he starts with the degrading passions, how it affects women. And, and I, last week, I, I went through a litany of things that I've seen change America. Um, and I won't do that again. I, we started with when we quit prayer out of school. Um, and how that progressed. Um. <clears throat> I think something happened in America sexually in the Oval Office when we had a president who violated a girl in his own office. And our culture identified and defined that as not sex. Are you with me? Are you with me, church? So it's, it wasn't sex because, because you know why. There was not intercourse. There was just some kind of oral stuff going on. So that wasn't sex. And by the way, he's not perfect. He's a man just like him. So, so let, him, let him go. That changed the definition of sex in America. If you don't believe me, you go back and you, just th- you think about it. it. It began to undermine our college students where they didn't think it was wrong. Fornication. They didn't think it was wrong any longer because the president could do it. If the president could do it and it's not sex, then it's not sex. So let's just have fun. And look what's happening today in our college campuses. 
We have a problem with alcoholism. We have a problem with binge drinking. We have a problem with sexual just license for anything. It's, it's degrading. And, and here, it starts with women. And you've got to ask yourself why. Well, I think the reason Paul does that is because he wants us to see how bad it is. How bad it's gotten. Now, I, I need to keep going. Verse 28. He gives them over to a depraved mind now. And so the wickedness, it, 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 it dives even deeper still. And the list now begins, well, it's an offensive list and it's hard to read. It goes on to include even envy and murder and strife, God-haters and, and insolent and, and people who don't love their parents or don't follow their parents. It just goes on and on. So who, who can argue? Um, who can argue that, that some of what we're seeing in our nation today I heard of one child suing her own, their, her own parents. Could you imagine suing your own parents? Because they didn't raise you right? Well, show me a parent that raised their kids just right, huh? Come on. Outside of me and Linda, it just hasn't been done, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. You get one shot at that and you do the best you can. And, and sometimes you score and sometimes you don't. But to sue your parents? It's part of what he's talking about here. Who can argue that's not kind of what we're experiencing in our nation, major cities? And you think back the last couple of years, the absolute um, willingness to violate the laws of the land on pretty much every level that you can imagine. And not just, not just in our government, but on the streets, the violence, the riots, the murder, the mayhem. And all the meantime, some of our leaders calling it a summer of love. My friend, that's upside down. Where there is no law, there's going to be pandemonium. There's going to be, there's going to be no, no peace, no tranquility in a, in a culture. So when sin and rebellion is not just tolerated by city and national leaders, but it's applauded and encouraged, what happens? It becomes both cause and effect. Are you with me? You know cause and effect. So sin begets sin, and sin begets more sin, and more sin begets more sin. More violence begets more violence. And it's kind of a, it's kind of like a cycling vortex where it just gets worse and worse and worse. That's part of what we're seeing that Paul's describing. It's both now cause and effect. And the problem, according to verse 19, they had a knowledge of God, he says, and they, they rejected it. So it's not ignorance. It's rejection. And verse 18 says, literally, they literally suppress the truth. And for me, I mean, does this not at all remind you of where we are today in America, in our nation? There's no doubt that there's been for some time in our society, uh, there's been a systematic, intentional movement by some to turn our culture a totally different direction than our culture was, has been for 200 years. All the values that, that our culture was established on, they want to change them. I remember when, when I was pastoring my first church, there was a man by the name of Don Wildman. He's since died. He was a Baptist pa- preacher. He influenced my life because he wanted to stand strong against pornographic literature that was being sold next to our schools. And I got involved in that with Donald Wildman. In fact, I was, uh, I was the president of the Nazarene Youth International thing in Southern California, had over 10,000 teenagers. 
And we were gathering them together, and I'd have speakers, international speakers come. And I had Donald Wildman, who was the, who was the, the president of the, the American Family Association, trying to fight um, issues that were impacting families back in the 80s. And I led the way in that in a lot of different ways. We bought billboards and put them all across Southern California. Uh, trying to raise up the family and protect the family. Donald Wildman. I remember saying to my congregation from some of what Donald Wildman discovered that in Hollywood, there was a definite, intentional strategy to change the moral values of America. And they were doing it through movies, television, any way they could. And, and I still remember some of the little old ladies in my church saying, well, that can't be, Pastor. I, I don't see that. They weren't seen in the heavenlies. They were seen, um, they were seen through their, their, their eyes of flesh. Now look what's happening 20, 30, 40 years later. We're, we're reaping the results of some of that, that strategy. Now, I only have a few minutes. Oh, it's 12 o'clock. Uh, let me do this and then I'm through. Get, give me a couple more minutes. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that there's been a movement in America to change the values of America. I'm going to go through this very quickly. Um, perhaps you're not aware. I've not heard any preachers talk about this. But, um, I, I, if I told you how I really felt about this, when you step into this arena, you're stepping, you're stepping on the front lines of spiritual warfare. Are you with me? So you better pray. You better pray. You better pray for your, your preacher, for your church. Because here's what I know. In 1989, there was a landmark decision with the Homosexual Public Relations Manual. And it boldly encourages gays and lesbians, and I quote, this is right out of the manual, you need to muddy the moral waters, that is, undercut the rationalizations that justify religious bigotry and to jam some of its psychic rewards. The publication goes on to say, and I quote, raising serious theological objections to conservative biblical teaching, which is what you're hearing today. The 1989 manual goes on to say, and I quote, undermine the moral authority of homo-hating churches. And by the way, I have homosexuals that have been in my own family, lesbians. I don't hate them. But I will speak for what I believe. I, I, will, I will speak what I believe. And when I do, I get accused of being a homophobic hater. Um, undermine the moral authority of homo-hating churches by portraying such institutions as antiquated backwaters Badly out of step with the times and with latest findings of psychology. End of quote, page 179 in the manual. Now I could go on, and I'm not through my sermon yet. I I wanted to move into uh, Leviticus 18, and it looks like we might be one more Sunday. I I am preaching next Sunday, am I not? Okay, I am preaching, yes. Jason always tells me whether I'm preaching or not, so (laughs) I'm just teasing. Yeah. Um, and I promise you next Sunday we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, you know, in Judges 10, 
I started out with this last week where God says, I'm done with you. It's an Old Testament or the New Testament version. Yet the beauty thing, beautiful thing about that is there's a statement in Judges 10 where God says about the Israelites, he could stand their misery, their judgment no longer. God was meeting righteous judgment on them, but it was so hard on the heart of God. As a parent, have you ever spanked your child and said, this is going to hurt me more than it did you? Okay, that's what God's feeling. It's the heart of God. It does not give a God a heart of joy when he has to discipline his people for immorality. But he will do it. And it breaks his heart. And I love that phrase. God could not stand. His misery was too great for the judgment he was laying on his people. Well, the people repented. The people repented. And it was a brand new day. That's what we need in America. We need repentance. And in the meantime, we need to love those and care about those who are lost in sin. We should not be angry, bitter, hostile. We should be vocal, speak the truth, stand strong, but do so in the grace and the love of God. Amen? Can we agree on that? That's what we're doing. So next week we'll wrap it up. Okay, Father, thank you now for who you are to us. Lord, if there's anyone who has been listening to this message, either here or online, and Lord, they, they, they need you desperately to rescue them from the pits of hell. We pray, God, that you do so right now in the name of Jesus. By the blood that was shed on Calvary's mountain, There is nothing too hard for you, O God. Extend your right hand of salvation and bring peace and love and grace, mercy, salvation, forgiveness, and holiness into our lives. And Lord, um, protect us from being who you've called us not to be. May we be men and women of the cross, men and women of grace and love and mercy, and allow you to do the real work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you, church. Have a great day in the Lord. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon, as well as other sermons, and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.